0: Well, this morning, uh, we are in week three of our series called Relationship Restarts," and uh, this morning, I simply want to talk to you about how do we bless our neighbors? How do we bless our neighbors? And maybe you're wondering, well, who is my neighbor? And you're in uh, good company because somebody in the scriptures asked that exact same question of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus was talking about loving and serving others, and they wanted to identify who is my neighbor. And Jesus told a story that you've probably heard of even if you're new to church. It's called the Good Samaritan. It's a really well-known story about a man who is basically mugged and robbed and beaten and left naked and left for dead on the side of the road. And two men walked by him who should have helped him, but they didn't. And then another man walked by him that nobody would have expected him to have helped him, but he did. It's the Good Samaritan. And what Jesus does in telling this story is really brilliant. Jesus redefines a word for us. He redefines the word neighbor. See, we tend to think of neighbors as those that we have things in common with, people who look like us, act like us, people who value the same things that we value, people who root for the New York Yankees. I mean, that's maybe how we might think of of neighbors. But Jesus here is saying neighbor is not defined by commonality. It's defined by opportunity. Anyone you have the opportunity to bless, that person in that moment becomes your neighbor. So neighbor is not just about commonality. Neighbor is also not just about proximity, who lives close to you. Those are your neighbors, but you have more neighbors. Anyone you have the opportunity to help, that person becomes your neighbor. And so that could be uh, your actual neighbors, of course. That can be your coworkers, students. That can be your classmates. It can even be your teachers, Your family, your teammates, the clubs, the organizations that you're part of, the Facebook groups that you're in, the friends that you have, your barista, your hairdresser, your masseuse. I don't know your lifestyle, but whatever you got going on, the people that you see regularly, those are your neighbors because you have the opportunity to bless them. And this morning, we're going to look at a short, brief passage in Colossians, which was a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. And we're gonna learn a few things about how do we bless our neighbors. And this morning's gonna be a little different than some mornings, a little more practical, a little more of a teaching, but I want us to understand how the scriptures teach us to bless our neighbors. So let's look together in Colossians chapter four. I'm gonna to read to you beginning in verse two. I'm reading to you from the ESV translation. And Paul writes these words. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us, That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech also be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person." How do we bless our neighbors? I'm gonna give you three thoughts, and in the middle of it, I'm gonna give you a little acrostic with the word "bless" that will hopefully will help you take some practical next, next steps. But the first thing, if we're going to bless our neighbors, we have to embrace the burden. Embrace the burden. Paul's writing this letter from prison. He's sitting in prison, and he writes this letter to this church in Colossae, and he says to them, hey, I have a prayer request. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Paul, and I'm sitting in prison, you know what my prayer, request, my prayer request would be? Prison break, right? Get me out of here. God, the earthquake you did for Peter, come on, cook that up again. Do that for me. Or at least smite my tormentors and give them fleas, right? So, so some sort of prayer like, about my situation. But Paul, you can, you can get a sense of what the burden of his heart is because he doesn't say pray for us to get out of here. He says pray that God will open a door for us to bless the very people who have captured us. Pray that God would give me opportunities to share the gospel with my captors, with fellow prisoners. Paul has God's heart because God's heart is for people, people who don't know him, people who are far from him, people who are lost, and this is Paul's heart. Now, let me ask you a question to use as a self-reflection. What do you pray for the most? What do you pray for the most? Now, it's fine to pray for ourselves. It's fine to pray for others. It's fine to pray for all sorts of things, but if we never pray for people who are lost, if we never pray that God would give us open doors to bless and reach people, here's what it's doing. It's revealing our burden. What you pray for the most reveals what really, what your burden really is. And we need to be a people who pray regularly for those who need to experience the blessing of God and pray for those who are far from God and pray for those who do not know him. Embrace the burden. Paul, I mean, when we look at Paul's life, He has such a burden for lost people. He took multiple, we know of at least three missionary trips that Paul took, risking his life, getting in shipwrecks, ending up in places where he was bit by snakes and stoned for what he was teaching. But nothing stopped Paul, why? Because he had a command to take the gospel and to go and to bring the good news of Jesus to places in Asia Minor that had never heard it before. Paul became an apostle, really, in many ways, to the Gentiles as he went and started churches in these Gentile communities, preaching and teaching them the gospel. This was Paul's burden. But Paul didn't just have a burden for the Gentiles. Paul had a deep burden for his Jewish brothers and sisters, for his fellow Israelites. In fact, in Romans chapter 9, Paul says one of the most startling things in all of the New Testament. In Romans chapter 9, verse 3, he says, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's not speaking of Gentiles there. When he says my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, he's speaking of fellow Israelites, This is this sort of burden that Paul has for people to know Jesus. He said, if it were possible, would I be cast away so that they could know you? Can you imagine that sort of burning burden that people would know Jesus and experience his blessing? We see it in Jesus' own ministry in Luke 19 as he looks over the city of Jerusalem and he weeps over the people. That he could weeps and and that he could gather them to himself. And then Luke 15, Jesus tells three back-to-back-to-back stories about how much the Father's heart is for lost things, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. This is the heart of our father. And the question this morning is this: Is it our heart as his people? Do we carry this burden? And here's my conviction: you won't bless people the way God wants you to until you have a burden for people the way God wants you to. You will not bless people the way God wants you to until you have a burden for people. So where do we start this morning? We start simply by saying, God, give me a burden for the lost. Give me a burden for those who are hurting. You know, this, this world is full of people who don't have hope, who don't have peace, who would, pay, who would give every last penny they have for a moment of peace who would sacrifice everything for just a couple days of joy and meaning and purpose, people hurting and broken. And where is our heart for them? Do we, are we broken our hearts broken for the things that break God's heart? I've heard Pastor Bill Kirk say 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter to the people in this room is who's in heaven and who's not. And if it's going to matter then, it better matter now. It has to matter now a burden to bless people. And so here's the question that I want us to be asking all morning as we're listening together. God, how do you want me to bless the people in the places you've sent me to? What a great prayer to start your day with. God, today, how do you want me to bless people? Whatever places, you know, you might feel like you go to places on accident or by choice, but God is sovereign. Wherever you work, wherever you live, whoever you interact with, whoever checks you out at the grocery store, in the checkout line, that's, none of that's, God is sovereign over those things. And so, God, how do you want me to bless these people? In fact, let's just take a moment. Would you close your eyes and let's just pray this prayer together right now as we start this habit together? I'll, I'll pray a few uh, words. You just pray after me. God, how do you want me? To bless the people in the places you've sent me to. God wants you to bless others. He's blessed you to bless others. Now, I do want to kind of give one caveat. I didn't say, God, how do you want me to convict others? Right? Some of us are like, ooh, I like that job. Like, give me that job. How do I make people feel bad about the way they're living their lives? Not, God, how do you want me to convict people? Because that's not our job. Whose job is that? That's the Holy Spirit's job. Also not, God, how do you, who do you want me to convert? Conversion is not our work. We can't convert anybody. You couldn't even convert yourself. That was the work of God on your behalf. It's God's work to change the heart and breathe life into dead hearts. It's God's work to convict and convert. So what do we do? We look for every opportunity that God gives us to bless people. To bless them. All right, so we embrace the burden. Secondly, we choose to bless. We choose to bless. It's a choice. It's a choice we have to make. Verse five, Paul said, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Here's what Paul's saying. There is a way, now when he says outsiders, he's talking about people who are outside of the faith, okay? So Paul is saying, there is a wise way to engage with people who don't believe what you believe, and there's an unwise way. And to be fair, the church in many situations, has been very proficient at the unwise ways of engaging people who are outside of the faith. But what does it mean to make the most of the time that God gives us and to engage people in a way that is wise? I want to look at this idea of how do we bless our neighbors, those who are outside of our faith, uh, this, I'm gonna use an acrostic to kind of help us remember this. And this acrostic, I wanna give credit. There's a pastor named Dave Ferguson who oversees a network of churches near the Chicago area. And I heard him teach on this, and this is mostly his. I tweaked it a tiny bit, but it's mostly his. So let's go through this together. Uh, if you're a note taker, it's in your notes for you. Bless, the acrostic. If we're gonna bless people, the first thing we have to do is we have to belong. Belong. You cannot bless your neighbors from a distance. You, 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 you can't reach them if you stay away from them. If you hide from them, how are you going to bless them? You need to be around them. You need to belong with them. Actually find places where you belong, where you regularly show up, where you're expected, where you're known. In John 1.14, the apostle John says that the word became flesh. The word uh, is Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Jesus came, we call this the incarnation, that God would wrap himself in flesh and, and take on the human experience and become one of us. In the message translation, I love how it says it in the message, Eugene Peterson says that the word became flesh and he, he moved into the neighborhood. That God left, so to speak, Jesus left the neighborhood of heaven, the glory of heaven, to come to the neighborhood of earth to be near us and to work on our behalf. This is the incarnation. Now, some, some Christians at this point would say, yeah, but what do you mean belong out there? We don't, we don't belong out there. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And yes, that is what scripture teaches, but don't misunderstand. Being not of the world means that you don't share the same values that the world shares. It means you don't share the same hope that the world shares. It means that you don't agree with all the truth that the world proclaims. That's what it means not to be of the world, that you don't have your identity wrapped up in the world, but we are in the world. Look around, we're here and we're here for a purpose, and we're here in a specific place. In the world means we're here for a purpose, but not of it means we don't share its values. And we see this in Jesus' prayer in John 17. He's praying for his disciples, which means he's praying for you, and he says this, beginning in verse 14. He says, I have not given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So he's saying, sometimes the world will hate people who are in the kingdom of God because of a difference of values he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then listen to what Jesus says here. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. So we're not of the world, but guess what? You've been sent into the world. You're sent in for a very specific purpose. And sometimes in the Christian circles, we we misunderstand the idea of holiness, And we think holiness means staying as far away as we can from people who don't live like us, act like us, think like us, and worship like us. But listen very carefully. Holiness is not about being set apart from those people. Holiness is about being set apart for his purposes. Big difference. Holiness is not about being set apart from those people. Holiness is about being set apart for his purpose. In other words, holiness is not about distance, it's about difference, it's not about how far can I get away from people who don't love Jesus. It's about how can I make a difference in their lives. Why? Because Paul said it right here, because we've been, or Jesus said it right here, because we've been sanctified in his truth. If you've been sanctified in his truth, there's no that you can't belong, fit in, and bear God's image, and be a witness and a blessing to the people that are there. Now, I should say this. If you're not sanctified in God's truth, and you find yourself in places where you're always getting dragged down, you have to use some wisdom there. But if you're in Christ and his spirit dwells within you, then there's a place for us to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is dealing with a really gross sexual perversion in the church. He says it's so bad that even the the pagans don't do this. And the church in Corinth is like, they actually are celebrating it because they think it's a sign of how gracious they are towards this believer who's living this way. And Paul's saying, no, no, this is where you need church discipline. (laughs) This is where someone's got to tell the truth. And he says, don't have anything to do with the sexually immoral. But then he adds this very important qualifier at the end of the chapter. In verse nine, he says, I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral people, but now he adds this qualifier. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Paul's saying, hold on, don't get it wrong. I'm not saying don't be friends with people outside who live lives that don't honor God. I'm not saying that. I'm saying deal with the people inside the church. And Paul goes on to say in this exact passage, who am I to judge the world the church, when the, judge, the church is not here to judge the world. The church is here to hold each other accountable, to speak truth into each other's lives. And so Paul here is teaching us that there is a way in which we can honor God, serve God, bless our neighbors. It does not require us to distance ourselves from them, but we can still belong with them. Jesus himself was known as and called a friend of sinners. You don't get that nickname unless you hang out with some pretty sinful people. We don't see Jesus hiding from sinners. We see Jesus getting together with him. Jesus was accused, you know, isn't it interesting that Jesus was never accused of being holier than thou? Jesus was never accused of being an elitist. He was never accused of being self-righteous. Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunk, neither of which he was, but he was accused of that because of the company that he kept. This might be radical, but based on the company that you keep, can you be accused of some things? Now, don't take that too far. Some of you are like, yeah, absolutely. No, don't take that too far. But if you don't keep company with some people, at times, who have other people to say, why are you hanging out with them? Why are you talking with them? Then maybe we're not living the way Jesus wants us to live as far as belonging in this world in a way that gives us opportunity to bless others. We are not of the world, but we're in the world. And we've been sent to the world, and we have a mission to reach people, bless people. So where do you belong? For some of you, it's your workplace. You've belonged there for a long time. You've, you've worked there for years, and you belong there, and people know you, and you show up regularly. That's a place where you can start blessing people. For some of you, it's your neighborhoods. It's your schools. It's where you shop. It's where you eat. It's, it's where you go regularly. Anywhere that you go regularly, you can belong there and be a part of that community, and that's the first step to blessing people. Okay, belong. Second L, Listen. If we're going to bless our neighbors, we have to listen to our neighbors. We have to listen to them. Do you know that listening is a very underrated skill? And I would suggest a very underdeveloped skill nowadays. My wife is, uh, I'm an okay listener. My, it depends what's happening. If there's a sports game on, I'm a terrible listener, just being honest with you. But I'm an okay listener. My wife is a great listener, great listener. Today's, today's actually our anniversary. 13 years she's had to listen to me. So pray for her, pray for her, yeah. Yeah, but she is a tremendous listener. And you know, people love being with her because they love being heard. They love the opportunity to share. And there's so many people in your life that have a story to tell and they just need a person to tell it to have concerns and thoughts, and we need to position ourselves to listen to people, to hear their stories, to understand their concerns, to consider their perspectives, to be listeners. And by the way, when we listen to people's stories, avoid two traps that we often try to do. Especially uh, if you're a fixer uh, or a Christian, you tend to do one of two things: you, you you try to define their story, define their narrative, tell them what it meant, or you try to direct their narrative, tell them where it's headed. We don't. That's not us to do. What do we just. Listen to their story and ask questions to better understand them. Keep asking questions. Jesus was one of the, he was just a a sort of relentless question asker, always looking to know more. Don't worry so much about being an interesting person. Worry about being an interested person. Be interested in the people around you. Do you know the stories of your coworkers? Do you know the stories of your neighbors? Do you know their lives? Do you know their concerns? Do you know their fears? Do you know their plans? Do you know things about them? We have to listen to them. And see the value in every single person. Listen. Third here in our acrostic, bless, belong, listen, and then my favorite one, eat. we got to eat. You're like, of course, eat. Um, and that, by the way, I did not tweak that from the original. That was in there. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that was something more spiritual, and then you got your hands on this acrostic and you made it eat. Sharing a meal with somebody, for the most part, is not quick, Right? It's a lot longer than what we get to do in the lobby before and after church where we just kind of pass each other by and get a quick minute or two in. There's something intimate about sharing a meal with someone, especially if you're making a meal for someone. There's something like being there, sitting there, face to face. Why do you think meals are so often the centerpieces of dating? Because it's that intimacy of being together and sharing that experience together and sharing that space together. And when you study the Gospels, it's amazing how many of Jesus' stories take place where there's food. And where there's tables. And and there's entire books that have been written about this topic of the table in the gospel. And if we're going to bless our neighbors, we have to be willing to eat with them, to sit with them, and to be with them. In fact, in Acts chapter two, when Luke is describing the early church and how the early church is experiencing this exponential growth, one of the things that he says in in chapter two, verse 46, is to describe them. He says, they broke bread in each other's homes. They ate together regularly regularly with sincere and glad hearts. And I don't think for a second that Luke is mentioning that as sort of a peripheral observation. That was integral. That was crucial. That was vital to the growth of the early church, that they broke bread together, that they ate together, and that they shared meals together. And here's my question. Who are you eating with? Who are you inviting into your life? Who are you inviting into your home? And if you don't, maybe have a home situation that you feel comfortable inviting people in. How about going and meeting them somewhere? Going, getting coffee with them. Going, having a meal with them. We all got to eat, right? Everybody going to eat something today? Hopefully, we all got to eat three times a day, or in my case, a few extras. But we all we all got to eat something. So as we eat, let's eat with people. Let's let's eat together. Let's invite people in. And you might think, well, what's a big deal of inviting people in? Well, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, actually, in First Timothy chapter three verse two. Paul is giving Timothy, a young pastor, qualifications for spiritual leaders. He called them elders. He said, here's all all the things that have to be true of an elder. And right in the middle of it, he says, they have to be hospitable, which other translations say they have to invite people into their home. To Paul, that was significant enough to put in a list for people who are gonna be spiritual leaders. So if you wanna talk to me about your spirituality, at some point I'm gonna ask you, who are you eating with? Who are you sharing meals with? Who are you breaking bread with? Who are you doing life with? And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we're doing dinner parties. Next Sunday, you're gonna hear about, we're gonna have five host homes on two different nights in November. You're gonna get to go into people's homes, have dinner together, and I wanna encourage you to be there. We have tremendous participation, but let's all commit ourselves to eating together in November, being together and doing life together. This is an important part of spirituality and blessing our neighbors is eating with them. And if you don't have anyone to eat with, I'll always eat with you. (laughs) Bless, belong, listen, eat. First S is this, serve. As you listen to their story, as you spend time with them at the table, here's what you're gonna begin to hear. You're gonna begin to hear their needs. I know some of you live in the suburbs, You're middle class, upper middle class. People maybe don't seem like they have really profound needs. Some of you live in communities where there are more profound needs, but everybody can be served in some way. Even if being served just simply means a kind, encouraging word, carpooling together, offer to babysit, offer to help them out. You see them struggling with something. I struggle with landscape. I wish one of my neighbors would bless me. I just wish they would, to be honest. The neighbors all around us are like, they're like people who spend hours on their lawns. They're all retired families. They spend hours on their lawns. and Our our house is like Ichabod in the middle of our, our neighborhood. But if you see somebody who can't keep up with what they're trying to do, is there a way that you can bless them? It just, it just requires us to pay attention, doesn't it? It just requires us to stop looking at ourselves, stop thinking about our schedule, stop thinking about our day, stop thinking about where we gotta go and what we gotta do and what we gotta watch next on Netflix. Just take a pause and look around our neighborhood and say, who can I bless? Whose life can I strengthen with my presence and with my relationship? And then the last S is this, share. When the time is right, when the time is right, share your story. And share God's story. Look for those opportunities to share. Paul says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer each person. In fact, in 1 Peter 3.15, another follower of Jesus, Peter, says this. He says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have within you. But then he adds this really important qualifier. But do it with gentleness and respect. We've run off a lot of people, the church has run off a lot of people by trying to give an answer without gentleness and respect. Actually, by trying to give an answer that people aren't actually interested in. Without relationship. The number one way that people put faith in Jesus is through meaningful relationship with other people who do the same. That, I mean, I'm not saying that other forms of evangelism are fruitless and don't work. They still can at times. But the number one way is for someone to say, I want to be your friend. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to belong wherever you belong. And I'm going to listen to you. And I'm going to eat with you. And I'm going to serve you. And when God opens the door for me, then I'm going to share with you my story. And sometimes it can simply sound like this. I'm so sorry that you're struggling through this grief. Can I share with you what helps me in grief? Or I understand that work is stressful. Can I share with you one thing that helps me When I am stressed out, it gives you opportunities to share the hope that you have and the ways in which Jesus has rescued you and saved you and made you new. We have to be long, we have to listen, eat, serve, and then when we get the opportunity, be ready to share. Now, here's the reality for most of us, for some of us in this room. Some of you actually, you're really good at B L E S. You you actually, you're really well steeped in your community, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, you got a great group of friends, you belong with them, you listen to them, you're probably sick of listening to them, but you've been listening to them, you eat with them, you even serve them, but you've not been able to take that next step and share with them. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Just daily pray. Whenever you know you're going to get together with that friend that you've been friends with for 20 years, but you've never actually told him who Jesus is to you, whenever you're going to go to a family gathering, you know that opportunity is going to be there, just begin to pray. Holy Spirit, give me the opportunity open the door, don't let me miss it, let me see it. And when I open up my mouth, give me words that are gentle, respectful, seasoned with grace, and useful for your purpose. And I believe the Holy Spirit will help us. He is the helper after all. I believe he'll help us. And you don't have to have a profound gospel presentation. You don't have to take him down the Romans road. You don't have to use a track. if That helps you good, but you don't have to do any of that. All you simply have to do is, this is who I was before Jesus. And this is who I am now by his grace. Right? Not finished, but in grow, growing in him and growing in his grace. So some of us, we're good at belonging, listening, eating, and serving, but it's a real struggle for us to share. And then there's other Christians who love to share but don't want to do any other hard work. Oh, well, give me an audience, and I'll tell, them, I'll tell them the gospel. Yeah, but there's a messiness of life, too, that we have to walk people through. So don't just jump to share. Take the time to belong, listen, eat, and serve. God wants to bless us so that we can bless others. Whatever he does in us, he wants to do through others, okay? So we're going to wrap up here. Embrace the burden, choose to bless, and then lastly this morning, look to bring. Look to bring. When you can, after you've blessed them, when you can, bring them to a community of believers. Maybe that's church on Sunday mornings. Invite them in. Do you know that recently there was a survey done and they they surveyed unchurched people and 47% of unchurched people said they would be open to an invitation to church from a close friend. 47% of people said they would be open to invitation to a church by a, and this is an important phrase, close friend. Someone that's already blessed them. Someone that they already know. Someone that they trust. There's people in your life potentially that you've thought they would never come to church. Well, why not ask? Why not invite? There's a 50% chance that they might say, yeah, I'll come. Or maybe church, there's another survey, I think it was the same survey that was done, that 57% of unchurched people said, I would actually, I'm interested in faith, but I'd like to be invited to something besides a church service first. I like an environment besides a church. So invite them to the next dinner party. Bring them with you. Let them get comfortable with us. Let them get get to know other people who love Jesus. Or here's here's a thought. Throw your own dinner party. Don't wait for the church to do dinner parties. Throw your own. Invite some friends from church that love Jesus. Invite some friends who don't know Jesus and just trust the Holy Spirit to use that space and that time. But be a bringer. If you're gonna bless people, then there's gonna be opportunities to bring people. Bring them out. Invite them out. Let them be a part of what God's doing here this morning, we're going to respond by coming to receive communion together. And I love that this is Communion Sunday because what are we bringing people to? Interestingly enough, a way of thinking about this is we're bringing them to a table. We're bringing them to a table, a place to belong, a place to be, a place to be fed, to be nourished, to be strengthened. We're bringing them to this table to celebrate the blessing. And when we look at the communion and we look at the cup and we look at the bread, it reminds us of the blessing that God has secured for us in Jesus. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus left the blessing so that he could win the blessing for you and I. He lost the blessing at the cross. He became sin and endured the wrath of God. He, he willingly lost the blessing so that you never would, so that you could have the blessing. But why does he give you the blessing? so you can bless others. Embrace the burden. Choose to bless and look to bring. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus, he did all of it. He embraced the burden. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? It was you and it was me. Knowing him, loving him, serving him. For the joy set before him, he embraced the burden. He he knew the Father's heart was for his lost children. And so he went and he found us. He embraced the burden. Secondly, did he bless us? Yes, he blessed us with his life, with his death, with his resurrection, with his teaching, with his presence, with his word. But finally, what is he bringing us to? Well, he told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But don't worry. There's many, we sang it this morning, there's room for you in the Father's house. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. But it's true. And I'm going to come back someday. I'm going to bring you to me. This is what Jesus has done for us. He felt the burden. He gave the blessing, even though it cost him everything. And his promise is he's going to bring you home. He's going to bring me home. And there's room for us. But guess what? There's also room for your neighbors. There's also room for your co-workers, teenagers. There's room for your classmates. There's room for your friends. There's room for your families. Let's look to bless our neighbors. Let's pray together this morning.